0: Welcome to the Unite Church Podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit UniteChurchAK.org. Well, we're excited for a new series we're going to be starting today. Pastor Rick Benjamin's going to be leading us in a series on the book of Ruth. I'm excited about it. Pastor Rick, oh, I gave it away. He was going to tell you. Just kidding. We're preaching on Esther. All right. Well, let's welcome Pastor Rick Benjamin. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you that you're our Father, even though you're God. We're your children because of what Jesus did. We worship you. You're so awesome, and you've been so good to us. We thank you for all your blessings. Whatever happens, we want your will to be done in this service, this week of our lives, every day of our lives. We want your will to be done in us. Let your kingdom come to the world around us every day a little more. God, thank you for meeting our needs, for providing us with jobs and houses and food and all that we need. We ask you once again, give us today what we need. Even in this church service, give us what we need from you to strengthen us and equip us for this week to come. Even use this message, Lord, to feed all of us here. Forgive us when we fall short. Thank you for your mercy, God. And help us to have mercy on people around us. Just to love people around us with your love. God, please protect us and our families from the evil one, from temptations and trials and all kinds of danger. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for blessing this new year you've given us. God, it's all about you, your kingdom, your power, your glory, forever and ever. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Yes, happy 2021. It's just a day on the calendar, but it's nice to have something new to talk about. Amen. (laughs) The message begins with kind of an unusual Bible verse. You'll see what I mean. Hebrews chapter 2. This is a warning verse to Israelite believers in Jesus back in the first century. They were being tempted to go back into Judaism. So here it is, Hebrews 2, 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Now, it's kind of a stern, scary kind of a verse, really, and that's not my message today. Nobody wants to drift away or fall away or turn away or escape from, here's the point, this great salvation. In the middle of all those scary words, he said something really beautiful. Simply, salvation is great. Anybody saved here today besides me? Anybody appreciate salvation? How many think salvation is great? All right, so the message paraphrase says this magnificent salvation. I like that word too. Salvation is magnificent. In fact, salvation is so great and so magnificent, there's no one word to describe it. So in the Bible, God gives us all kinds of words and all kinds of pictures to show us how great salvation is. It's so great, no one word can cover it. So I'm going to give you some of those words, salvation words. The first one is kind of a family picture. We were born once, but then we were born again and actually adopted, that's the word, into God's family with God as our Father and fellow Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. Salvation is also adoption. We get adopted into a family. But there's more. This is kind of a relational picture. We were separated from God. Did you know the Bible said before we were actually enemies to God? But now we are reconciled back into relationship with him. We're reconciled. Beautiful. Now the next scene is kind of a courtroom scene. Totally different picture. Picture a courtroom and up on the bench the judge is God. That's serious because he's God, he has all the information. No need of evidence, no need of witnesses. He already knows it all. And even even though we're guilty sinners before God and we are. God does an amazing thing. The judge says these words, not guilty. You are free to go. Now, the reason he can do that is because of Christ's death, and he paid the price for all of our sins and crimes. You are justified. What a great picture that is. What a great word that is. Okay. Now, the next picture is more of a religious kind of ceremonial picture. A sacrifice, an innocent, sinless sacrifice, takes our place and becomes our substitute and turns away God's anger from us. And then God begins to wash us clean and make us pure and holy in this miracle and this lifelong process called sanctified. So God takes us in a moment and then through a lifetime and makes us holy, as holy as God is. Aren't these great words? They're salvation words. Salvation is great. So great it takes all these words to describe it. A lot of the salvation words are re-words. They begin with that little prefix, R-E, re, meaning what? Again, right? Like this one, repentance. Get it? It's a re word. What does repentance mean? You change your mind again. You turn again. You turn around again. You turn away from sin and turn and start walking towards God. Repentance. Love that. It's a re word. How about this one? Regeneration. We like that one. It means what we said before. You're born again. Your first birth was your generation. Your salvation was your regeneration. You start life over again. Yeah, like a brand new baby, as a new creation in Christ, with a new nature inside. This is good news, folks, with a brand new family. Regeneration. But here's another re word it's all about salvation, see? It's reconciliation. Again, you were. Reunited to God and you're back in relationship with Jesus. Anybody else here thankful for the re <laughs> for anybody thankful for the second chance God gave us to be born again and reconciled to Him and all these wonderful things? I know I am. I'll just stop now and say, Lord, thank you that you saved me. Thank you for the re in my life. So I could turn again and be born again and back in relationship with you again. So I can say it this way: I'm saved. I'm regenerated, I'm adopted, I'm reconciled, I'm justified, and I'm sanctified. And if you're a Christian, so are you. You can say all those words about you and this great salvation you have. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, there's one more I left out, and that's where I'm going now. One more picture of this great salvation, which is the theme of the message I'm beginning today. Okay, and this picture is kind of an economic picture. It's that word up there, redeemed. What goes on here? This is about a price, a price that has been paid. To deliver somebody out of slavery, did you know that was possible in the first century? And in our history, even you could buy a person and then set them free with a price that was paid. A ransom, a ransom like when someone's a hostage and they've been kidnapped, you know, and you pay the ransom and they're set free. That's the Bible word, ransom. Did you know that? And set us free from bondage. It's another re-word. You already figured that out, didn't you? Redeemed. Bought again. Purchased again. You were owned before, but Jesus came along and paid the price, and we know what that price was, to buy us again. We've been redeemed. So I can say that too. I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Here's some New Testament verses about being redeemed. Ephesians 1. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That was the price to ransom us, to redeem us. Redemption was the price that Jesus paid when he poured out his blood and poured out his life for us on the cross. Why? Because of God's grace, which he's poured out on us. This is good news. And Peter said it this way. For you know it's not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Yeah, he was our substitute. He was our sacrifice. And when he poured out his blood on the cross, he paid for us. And so the Bible says things like, you were bought with a price. Remember those words? You belong to him now. You are his possession And so glorify God with your body and your life. Amen. So here's where I'm going. That was too long of an introduction, but here's where I'm going. Redeemed is not just a New Testament picture. There's a lot of being redeemed back in the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. For example, remember the great exodus out of bondage in Egypt? When God brought Israel out of bondage, he said, I redeemed you. I brought you back. I set you free from slavery. A great, maybe the greatest Old Testament picture of redemption. In the Psalms, King David, he would praise God. You're my Lord. You're my Redeemer. Remember that word in the Psalms? He would say, you redeem me from all my enemies. And he had a long list. (laughs) He said, you redeem me even from death. So back then they knew about redemption. Okay. This message today, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to sit here and tell a great story. And I hope you love this story as much as I do. And it's an Old Testament story. I'll say it this way. I'm going to tell you an Old Testament story that's a picture of a New Testament reality. You like that? All right. I grew up on Bible stories. I still love them today. I always have. I thank God for Erna Weldon. A few of us know that name. And especially Bev Strutz who taught me Sunday school in this church when I was a little kid. And they taught me Bible stories of the kings and the prophets. And they helped me love the Bible and love Bible stories. When I was a kid, my parents had this set of Bible story books. I brought one. A we'll little show and tell here this morning. It's called The Bible Story. Brilliant. And if you remember, it's full of all these beautiful, full-color paintings, and pictures. I mean, some of these pictures are in my spirit to this day, I'm sure. From this, it's 10 volumes. I'm holding up volume three right now. When I was a kid, my father would read one of these Bible stories to me and my sister every weekday morning, getting ready to go to school, you know. We'd be eating our cereal. He'd be sitting in his pajamas around a table like this, and he would read us a Bible story. He read the entire set of ten volumes all the way through two times. How about that? Yeah, I got a set of these in my house now. We read these to my kids. And now I have a one volume, a pretty cool Bible story book, like a cartoon or like a comic book, you know, action Bible, something like that. I read that to my grandson. I love those stories. And the story I'm going to share today is in this book, volume three, page 137. And it has some cool pictures, too. But here's what we're going to do. If you want to turn to this story in the Bible, go ahead. If you want to turn to it online, I'm just going to believe you that's what you're actually doing with your phone right now. So go ahead and take it out. I got a cool Bible software called Bible Gateway, and I turned to it during church, and you can too, of course. The Bible Book of Ruth. It's a little Bible book. It's only four chapters in the Bible. It's one of two books named for a lady. We got them both this morning, right? The book of Ruth and the book of Esther. Interesting. Two great Bible ladies. Ruth was a Gentile who ends up marrying a Jew. Oh, spoiler. I blew it already. And uh, Esther was a Jewish lady who married a Gentile. Interesting. Okay. You can follow along in the story of Ruth if you want to. I'm not going to read every verse. Or just listen. Get comfortable. Not too comfortable. (laughs) And I'll tell you the story. In the message paraphrase, it begins like this. Once upon a time. Really? Because it is that kind of a story. It's such a beautiful story that it's almost like a fairy tale. Because there's a heroine, and later on there's a hero. And guess what? They do live Happily ever after, that's later. But it's not a fairy tale. It's not a legend, as beautiful as it is. It really, really happened, like all Bible stories. Bible stories happen to real people in real times and real places. And that's true of this story, too. It actually happened over 3,000 years ago. Wow, way back. About 1,100 before Christ, they say. All right. Now, here's the context. The first words of the book of Ruth actually say this. In the days when the judges ruled, that's not good. (laughs) Okay, I'll just tell you that right now. In just a few words, we find out this was during a very bad time. Okay, I'll tell you a little bit about the judges. Those are Bible stories, too. I love those stories, too. The judges were not like judges in a courtroom, okay? The judges were more like tribal leaders who became like generals to help rescue Israel from some enemies, uh, and God used them. Now, there's a whole series of judges. They ruled for like 300 years. Interesting. After the conquest of Canaan and before they had kings in Israel, we had these judges. But they were all really flawed people. If you study the judges, all of them had problems and bad character, frankly. By the way, listen to this. Leaders with bad character. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay. Just want to make sure you got the point here today. Okay. One of the reasons I chose this story is because of the time back then. Well, you'll see. Now, even though these leaders had bad character and all kinds of flaws, God used them anyway by his Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit was active way back then? 1,000 B.C. He kept using them by his Spirit. Here was what happened in the book of Judges. Kind of a... Vicious circle. Israel would get kind of comfortable and prosperous. Does this sound familiar? Okay, so God would allow one of these Canaanite countries to oppress them and rule over them and make them into slaves. And then Israel would get real broken and real sorry. Lord, we're sorry. We rejected you. We got complacent. We turned to false gods. Help us. Deliver us so guess what God would do every time? He would hear their prayer, and he would send a deliverer. And the deliverer was this judge person. He'd raise up this judge, use them by his Holy Spirit. They would be free for a while from the oppression of the Gentile country. And then they got prosperous. Guess what's about to happen again? <gasps> yeah, repeat and rinse. This, this cycle repeated maybe like 10 times in the book of Judges. And God would bring in another Gentile country to oppress them. They would get all sorry. They would ask God to help them. He would do it every time. You know why? Because God is good. And God is merciful. And he has something he wants to do with us. Anyway, I'll give you some examples. One judge's name was Jephthah, J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. Jephthah was the illegitimate judge. I'm talking about his birth, actually. And he was inferior and second class, and God called him, and people rejected him, but God used him by his spirit, and he was a deliverer for a while. Here's one you've heard of. His name was Gideon. Remember the judge named Gideon? We love that story. Well, Gideon's problem was back trouble. Yellow. (laughs) Okay. He was a coward. (laughs) Gideon was this cowardly, fearful judge who didn't want to do it. And he kept trying to talk God out of it and tell God all the reasons why he couldn't do it. He was so afraid, even up to the end. He never really got over this. But God used Gideon anyway by his Holy Spirit, and he was a great judge for a while. Here's one I know you all heard about. This judge's name was Samson. We all know Samson. Maybe you saw the movie. They made a movie about him. He was the strong but weak judge. We know Samson because of his super strength which, by the way, did not come from his hair, because hair doesn't make you stronger, okay? It came from the power of God, and when God came upon him repeatedly, he would do these superhuman feats of strength that we've all heard about, okay? But he was a weak person. Talk about bad character. How in the world did God even use this guy? He was such a carnal, selfish, immature person. And his weaknesses finally ended his life in tragedy, if you know the story. It's terrible. And he was the last one, by the way. He was the last judge. You know, it's like God looked around and said, okay, I guess I'll have to use this guy. (laughs) That's how bad it was. Now, later on, but not today, try reading the last five chapters of the book of Judges. By the way, it's right above Ruth. So, the book of Ruth is in the right place. All this judge stuff happens for 300 years, and along comes this little story of Ruth. The last five chapters of Judges are actually worse. It's like the R rated part of the Bible. Now, some kids will run home and read it this afternoon (laughs) because I said that. It's terrible! All kinds of idolatry, all kinds of weird immorality and violence. How about this? It was a time of chaos. It was a time of anarchy. Does this ring a bell to anybody? It was a bad time. If they had televisions, there'd be riots on the news. Here's the last words of the book of Judges. And if you look up from the book of Ruth, you'll see them right there. The last verse of the book of Judges says, Everyone did as he saw fit, whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That means there were no judges, no government, no law and order, Anarchy. That's how bad it was. Some people call the book of Judges the dark ages of the Bible. Wow. It was that terrible. Now here's what happens. In the middle of all that destruction and sin and darkness, the story of Ruth shines like a light in a dark place. It's so beautiful. That's one reason I want to tell her story now. Because we're still in the middle of some pretty dark times. Yes, we are. We're still in the middle of a pretty dark Alaskan winter. Yes, we are. We know. So I thought it was a good time for a light. What do you say? And, you know, it's more than just a nice story. Listen to me. The story of Ruth shows that in the darkest of times, God is still at work. And God is doing something. And God's purposes go on. And nothing ever stops God's purposes on earth the dark ages, the R-rated time of the Bible. It doesn't matter, then or now, God keeps going. Like that verse we read about Christmas, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. There was all kinds of darkness around this story, but there's this light, and her name is Ruth. Okay. Now, here's how the story begins. Besides being the bad times of the judges, it says, there was a famine in the land. We're talking agrarian culture, Middle Eastern culture, dependent on growing what they eat to live. So if it couldn't get any worse, it did. Now we have a famine on top of all that darkness. And there was a man in Bethlehem. He was married, and he had two sons. So this man decided to take his little family to another place. Now I have a map to show this. We got the map. It's kind of a cartoon map. There it is. Okay. The story takes place in the little village of Bethlehem. Yeah, that Bethlehem. The one we sang about last month. It's in that little town of Bethlehem, way before Bethlehem was Bethlehem. It was nothing. Little tiny village, way before Jesus, way before King David. Okay. Over there in Israel. Now, this man took his family down the mountain, across the Jordan River, and over to a country called Moab. That's one of those Gentile countries over there. Small country, other side of the Dead Sea, Gentile country. Actually, it was a cursed country. So he took his family. I think about this, Dolores. Husband and wife and two young sons, kind of like our family. Took the family across the river to this cursed idolatry country called Moab. They were idol worshipers. They oppressed Israel during the time of the judges. They were one of the bad countries that oppressed them. Deuteronomy said, no Moabite can ever come into the house of Israel. Wow. That's God talking in the law. And later on, the prophet Jeremiah cursed that country from the Lord. It's not a good place to go, but they were desperate. Why did they go over there? To stay alive. It was just subsistence. They thought maybe it'd be better over there. The man's name was Elimelech, which you don't need to remember because he has a very small part in this story. But his wife's name was Naomi, and you got to remember her, Naomi. She's one of the main characters in the whole story. And they had two sons. Also, you don't need to remember their names either. They didn't even have any lines they spoke. Their names were Malon and Kiliot. Okay, so this guy and Naomi and their two sons go to Moab, and then when they get over there, he died. Her husband dies. So Naomi is now a widow, And that's a very desperate thing to be 3,000 years ago. But she has these two sons. Okay. So she could be all right. So the two sons actually get married to two Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other is Ruth, the star of our story. But guess what? They lived over there 10 years. So you got Naomi and her two sons and her two daughters-in-law. But then both of the sons died. We don't know why, but now her husband and her sons are all gone. And the Bible says she was left without her two sons and her husband. Are you following this? It just went from bad to worse. Very serious situation. The time of the judges, a famine. They're in this foreign country, Moab. Her husband dies. Then the two sons die. So you got a poor widow in a foreign country during a famine with two Gentile daughters-in-law who are also widows. I'm not making this up. These people are at risk. I mean, like, they're not going to live. So the story goes that Naomi decides to go back, back to Bethlehem, because she heard there was food there. In fact, she heard the Lord is blessing us. You know, Naomi knew who the Lord was. She did. She had that. So she said, I'm going to go back. By the way, Bethlehem, you know what it means? It means house of bread. That's a good meeting in a famine. Okay, here they got bread there, so we're going to go back. Uh, Let me see the map again. Do we have the map again? I want to explain this to you. To get there from Moab, you've got to reverse that arrow. You go down to the Jordan River, which is 1,000 feet below sea level, and then climb up to Bethlehem, which is 2,500 feet above sea level. You get what I'm doing here? I'm making the story really dramatic, all right? So it was like a a 40-mile hike, three women, all the way down to the lowest place on earth and then up to the top of the mountain. That's what they had to do. Okay, so at first Naomi says to the daughters-in-law, go home, go back to Moab. She actually said, I'm not going to get married again. I'm not going to have two more sons for you girls to marry one day. She said, go back to your gods. Go back home. Get married. Have a life. Now, at first, both of them wanted to stay with her. It's true. Orpah and Ruth, they wanted to stay. In fact, they both cried. No, we love you, mother-in-law. We want to go with you. But she insisted, and eventually, Orpah went back to Moab, started a TV talk show and became an entertainment superstar. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. Not a very good joke either. Okay, uh, Oprah Winfrey's actual name came from that lady in the book of Ruth, it turns out. Okay. So forget about her. She's gone now, and now we have Ruth. So here they are, Naomi, the widow, mother-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite widow, daughter-in-law. And Naomi says, Oprah left. Go ahead. And then she says the greatest words she ever said in her life. Okay, let's look at these words. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It is awesome. She only speaks in nine verses in this whole story. She doesn't speak a lot. But what she said here is immortal almost, what she said. Ruth's example of faithful love. That's the word here. Faithful love. To Naomi became famous words. You may have heard these words in a wedding. Who's ever heard these words in a wedding before, a wedding ceremony? There used to be wedding songs. Now listen, this is not a bride and groom situation. This is a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Not always the easiest relationship, okay? They tell lots of mother-in-law jokes about the mother-in-law and the son-in-law. But they never tell mother-in-law jokes about the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law because that's not funny. Okay. By the way, my mom loved my wife, and it was mutual. Okay. No, this is not a bride and a groom. This is not a wedding. But we hear these words in wedding ceremonies. I grew up going to weddings here in this song. Whither thou goest, I will go. Wherever thou lodgest, I will lodge. King James language, like a bride singing to her husband. But those words came from this little story here. You know what actually Ruth is saying? I'll go with you and we'll die together. She knew it. She could have had a chance for a life back home. She gave that up. And the most important thing she said of all, of course, was, and your God will be my God. What just happened there? She converted (laughs) on the spot. She said, you've been talking about your God, the Lord. Okay, I'm going to go all the way. I'm all in. Not just committed to you. I'm committed to your God. Wow. Do you know this this part of the wedding vows, till death do us part, came from the words of Ruth in the book of Ruth. That's right. So the title of this story today is Ruth, the Power of Faithful Love. And I got a picture of them. You like that picture? Me too. There's old Naomi. There's Ruth. I love that shawl thing. To me, it's a metaphor. They came under the covering of God. Naomi was already under that covering. Ruth said, your God will be my God. She came under the covering of God. That comes up later in the story. By the way, you know what Ruth's name means? Ready for this? Her name means friend. She became like the champion friend in all of the Bible almost. What a friend she was. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 18, 24. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like a family. She was more family than her family. She was more of a daughter than the daughter she never had, you know. And listen to this. Ruth's faithful love to Naomi is like the faithful love of God himself. It's the word God uses to describe his love. It's in the Psalms over and over again. This is just one example. This is Psalm 136. Watch this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 3. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. All together now. His faithful love endures forever. 26 times in that one psalm in the Bible, that's the chorus. They say, you people repeat yourself too much when you sing. (laughs) Okay? There are some examples in the Bible of things that are worth repeating. There are whole psalms like that, and it goes over and over again. The old King James word was loving kindness. Thy loving kindness is better than life, we would think. Wow. So her love is like God's love. Think about this. God himself is the greatest friend, and his faithful love is the greatest love. But Ruth is a pretty good human example of faithfulness and friendship and faithful love. Now I want to use her as an example for a moment here. Sometimes in life we feel like, God, where are you? Do you still love me? I haven't heard from you. I want to tell you something. Sometimes, many times, the way God shows his faithful love to you is through the faithful love of another person. Think about that. He is with you. He is speaking to you. It's through your friend. And that's when the change begins. Do you know when Ruth makes this commitment to God and Naomi? It's the beginning of the change. It takes a while still to really happen. But it all started right there when she said, I'm with you. I'm sticking with you. Faithful love. Right now, I want you to think about people in your life. You can look back and say, that person showed God's love to me. God's love came through that person to me. Can you think of some? I can. My grandparents. Huey and Zelma. They always told me I was the favorite grandchild. (laughs) They always loved me. They always believed in me. We had so much fun together. My grandma prayed for me. I know she did to the last day of her life. My parents, Dick and Carol Benjamin, huge examples of faithful love of God through them to me. Always believed in me, always took care of me, always had vision for my future. And my number one Ruth, my number one Ruth friend is my wife, Dolores Benjamin, who's here today. And 42 years ago, we made vows like that to each other. And we kept them all these years. It's so great to have somebody who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. Who does that remind you of? Almighty God, the one who knows everything about us and loves us anyway. Thank you, my wife, for being God's love through you to me in spite of me so many times. How about brothers and sisters in your natural family and in the body of Christ and friends that God has given you? And I'm saying it that way. I believe God gives you friends. Sometimes I meet a new person and I ask myself the question, why? Why, God? Why this person? What are you doing here? I've learned to look for that. I've been gifted friends From God. I'm so gifted. I guess some of us need more support than others. Because I have a whole lot of support. And God knew it. Pastor Brian Green. My brother. My counselor. Nobody I trust more than him. Pastor Frank Curry. What a friend. What a brother. What a heart he has. Always fun. Always encouraging me. My two friends. Pastor Kent Redfern. Pastor Mel Williams. Brothers. We've been through so much together, and they love me. They believe in me more than I ever believed in me. I'm so blessed by friends and colleagues and brothers and sisters, and I, I see them as God's love through them to me. And how many times have they been used by God to direct me and give me God's wisdom and advice for decisions and changes in my life? I want to tell you something. If you're thinking of people right now who have been God's faithful love through them to you, will you do something for them? Thank them. If they're still around, if you haven't already, call them up or get on the Internet. Don't do Facebook. Everybody else reads that. This is too personal. Say, I want to thank you for being Ruth in my life. I want to thank you for sticking with me. I want to thank you for being God's love, for being a gift from God to me. I just want you to know how much that means to me. There's no greater reward than hearing words like that. And one more thing I'm going to tell you, and this may blow your fuses sometimes the one that God wants to put his love through to others is you. That's right. That can be you too. Be like Ruth. Tell your friend, tell your spouse, tell your brother. I'm with you. I'm committed. No matter what. On your worst day. If I know all the bad stuff about you, I love you. And let God pour his love through you to them. Romans 5, verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I think that means the Holy Spirit tells us how much God loves us, but also the Holy Spirit pours that love out through us to other people. I'm saying this out loud. God's love, the perfect love of God, can come through you to other people. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Let that fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you grow in you and come out of you. It's love for other people. And you can be like Ruth, and one day somebody will say, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for letting me vent when I was just venting. Thank you for letting me freak out because you knew I was just freaking out. And you didn't freak out. (laughs) Thank you for keeping my secrets. Thank you for praying for me no matter what. Be like Ruth. She's awesome. What an example she was. Okay. Back to the story. Because of Ruth's faithful love to Naomi and her commitment to the Lord, this whole bad story begins to change into a beautiful story of grace and redemption. But not yet. When they get back to Bethlehem after that long uphill journey, listen to this. Naomi was bitter. In fact, watch this. She was literally bitter. When they got back, Bethlehem people remembered her. This is Naomi. She's back. She said, don't call me that. You want to know what Naomi means? Naomi means pleasant. She says, stop calling me pleasant because I'm not. She said, I want you to call me Mara, M-A-R-A. And guess what Mara means? Bitter. She changed her identity. She changed her name to bitter. At least she owned it. (laughs) Many bitter people say, I am not bitter. Bitter. And the rest of us go, dude. (laughs) Naomi said, I'm bitter. And listen to this. It gets worse, actually. I'll read what she said. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Yeah. She said, God did this to me. God killed my husband. God killed my sons. God put me through this. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? I'm not. I'm not pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Wow. The message paraphrase says, the strong one has ruined me. Another reason I chose the story of Ruth, because maybe you, someone here, someone on the Internet today, someone hearing this message, maybe you are struggling with bitterness right now or even anger towards God. Why, God? Where are you? Why did you do this to me? I don't deserve this. You know, God let those words stay in the Bible. But here's the question. What if there was no Ruth in this story? I'll tell you the answer to that. If there was no Ruth... Naomi would have died a bitter, lonely, widow woman, angry at God. Thank God that God brought that gift of that relationship into her life. Thank God for faithful friends who love us even when we're bitter and angry. It's hard to be around bitter people. I know. Bitter means bitter. It's unpleasant. It's sour. It doesn't feel good to be around bitter people. But Naomi got that faithful love from her friend Ruth and every person you know that's bitter or fighting with bitterness deserves the same. Faithful love. Don't give up on that person. She didn't. Okay. Right here we have to put a bookmark. (laughs) I put a bookmark in my Bible story book. There it is. Here's the bookmark. Ruth's faithful love. Awesome. An example to all of us. An example of God's own love. Naomi's awful bitterness... She is in a bad place. They're back in Bethlehem, but still a very bad situation. Two widows all alone during a famine. So you got to come back next time I speak, whenever that is, to hear what happens next in this amazing story. But here's a little hint. This is called a teaser, okay? <laughs> the last verse of chapter 1 says, Ruth, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I like that word, beginning. It ends with a beginning. There's going to be a beginning here. But you've got to come back to hear what happens. Here's the summary. Salvation is great, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're saved? It's so great, God uses a whole bunch of words and pictures to tell us how great it is adopted, reconciled, justified, redeemed. That word's coming up in the story, you'll see. This Old Testament story of Ruth shows New Testament realities of grace and redemption during a very dark time when they had really flawed, sinful leaders. The situation was desperate, but the light of God's grace still shines through, and God's purposes always go on no matter what. And one woman's commitment to God and commitment to her friend changed everything. We'll leave it there for now. The story of Ruth, the power of faithful love. We're going to pray again. Would you all please stand? There'll be people here at the front to pray with you. If you want to be a better friend and show God's faithful love to your friend, come and pray about that. If you're battling inside with Bitterness, you're about to change your name. Don't do it. Come up here and get prayer. Why take your burden home? Why not give God a chance to leave your burden here? Come under His covering, that beautiful shawl we saw. Put yourself in that place under God's love. Let Him begin to change your story and change your life. It can happen today. I'll just pray for us all, and then we'll close. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for salvation. It is great. We're so blessed to be saved. Thank you for the Bible, all these great stories that tell us about you and your love. Thank you for the story of Ruth. Thank you for hope that in dark days and dark times, there's always you and your light and your will goes on, your purposes, and we can be a part of it. Thank you for the friends you've given us. Thank you for grandparents and parents and spouses and brothers and sisters and faithful friends who love us no matter what. And help each one of us to be Ruth. Help each one of us to be that kind of friend or brother or sister or parent or grandparent to the people in our lives too. Give us that grace. We humbly pray for your love, the perfect love of God, to flow through us in spite of us by your Holy Spirit to people around us in our world every day. And I pray for people that are feeling bitter or struggling or they're angry, even angry with you. Pour out your love on them any way you choose and touch their hearts and change that bitterness into hope and joy. I pray for that for this day, for this week, for this new year, for your people. Bless them all as they go. Bless their families. Bless their homes. Bless their ministry this week. Let us be a light in this dark world. Let your love flow through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at UniteChurchAK.org. We hope to see you soon.